feeling and uh, becoming increasingly aware of the extent of hatred in this world that we live in recently. Um, I, you know, we see it put on display in the media all the time, movies, news, TV, online. Um, and my goodness, if you tweet something that is politically incorrect or even on the bubble, uh, or if you respond to some online blog, uh, you're just opening yourself up for the haters to come out, right? Uh, I'm sure you've seen it, maybe you've experienced it. Uh, there's no doubt that, that social media... Uh, gives us more opportunity for hatred to come out. And so I started to wonder, well, am I sensing this increase just because there's more, it's more out there? Or is the level of hatred actually increasing? So I I looked into that a little bit. And uh, one way to look at it is to consider hate crime statistics. Um, a hate crime is an aggressive expression of, uh, of prejudice against another person or a group, uh, a group of people, simply because of who they are or what they are. And uh, it's a crime that's usually motivated by a bias against religion or race or sexual orientation or disability. Um, and I learned that in the state of Washington, the frequency of hate crimes has actually increased each of the last three years. So certainly right here in our backyard, hate crime is growing. Nationally, hate crime is very frequent. There is a hate crime committed in this country every hour. While we are sitting here this morning, someone is going to be the victim of a hate crime in this country. And one example of hate crimes on the increase in the U.S. is the hate against Muslims that spiked after the September 11th attacks and and went back down, but has has not ever got reduced back down. It's still five times more than it was before the September 11th attacks. And uh, as I look further along that line, I was not surprised to learn that uh, persecution of Christians is increasing significantly around the world. Uh, and while it's true that most of the hatred of Christians is found in um, countries with authoritarian regimes like China, North Korea, uh, or driven by Islamic fundamentalism in countries like um, Sudan and Niger, uh, Syria, Iran, so many others, um, uh, it, it, this, I, I want to refer to something that David Curry, who's the president and CEO of Open Doors USA, which is the organization that uh, provided this information, he said, even Christian majority states are experiencing unprecedented levels of exclusion, discrimination, and violence. A staggering number of Christians are becoming victims of intolerance and violence because of their faith. They are being forced to be more secretive about their faith, even in Christian majority states. And our, and our own country appears to not be an exception to that. The Liberty Institute and the Family Research Council for the, have combined efforts uh, since 2012 to try to study that, the, um, the amount of hostility toward Christians in this country, in the United States. Uh, and they're measuring not just hate crimes, but 
but all forms of hostility toward Christians, including things like verbal harassment, hostile feelings, attitudes, and actions, uh, restrictions and discrimination in education and employment. Uh, and they found that each year the rate of hostility toward Christians uh, in the U.S. has increased at an alarming rate, many times more than in just recent years. So, and I, I know that, that many of us listening this morning have experienced various forms of hostility. Students uh, uh, not even being allowed to mention Jesus or their faith in a classroom. Um, employees afraid to wear a crucifix around their neck to work or to post a, uh, an encouraging scripture in their cubicle at work. Um, some of us may have even been verbally, if not physically, attacked at times for our faith or for other reasons. And if you haven't experienced hate personally, yet I'm, uh, I'm obviously I'm very glad about that, um, but based on the trends, you may very well experience it in the future. And most importantly, Jesus told us multiple times that by being followers of him, we will be hated. Let me just give you a few examples of when and how Jesus said that. Luke 21, 17, everyone will hate you because of me. John 15, 19, I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. John 15, 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Matthew 24, 9, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Luke 6, 22, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject you, reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. And that's just some of the examples. So whether you have personally experienced hate in your life yet, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are hated by millions of people all over the world right now. You're hated not because of you, but because you are a follower of Jesus. And... Uh, it's interesting to just think about if you just simply lived in a different place, like many places in Asia, Africa, the Middle East, you would be barricading your doors at night because of you're so aware of all of the hatred that is around you. So aren't you glad you came today? <laughs> if you are uh, not a follower of Jesus, this isn't much of a sales pitch, is it? Uh, but that's okay. We're not into sales pitches here. We're into truth. Uh, and if you are a follower, you can take heart because there is good news. After all, I did just refer to the scripture where Jesus said, blessed are you who are hated. So bear with me. We're going to work toward getting to the good news. Jesus knew very well the suffering that hate can cause because he experienced it himself. Uh, two weeks ago, we remembered Jesus suffering through the, the 
brutal torture and execution uh, of him, and, and we celebrated him overcoming that death on Easter. Uh, we, and we rightfully focus a great deal of our attention on the physical suffering of the beating and the flogging and the crucifixion that Jesus suffered. And there's no doubt about the horror of that. And if you, if you want to uh, know that better, I, just, I suggest actually the movie The Passion of the Christ um, because it, most historians uh, agree that it seems to depict what actually happened to Jesus extremely well. As horrific as that physical suffering was, I wonder if when Jesus was informing his disciples that he would have to suffer, which he did so on several occasions, I wonder if the greatest pain that he anticipated was the physical or the emotional suffering that he was going to have to go through because of the hatred he was about to experience. On Easter, he overcame not only the physical suffering, but he overcame the emotional suffering that comes from hate. And today I want us to look at an encounter that Jesus had just prior to his execution, uh, an encounter that he had with a Jewish high priest. Um, And there are actually two encounters that we're going to look at. The first with the former high priest, a man named Annas, and the other is with the current high priest at the time of Jesus' Uh, trial and execution. His name is Caiaphas. And these encounters are recorded in the, in the biographies in the Bible that we have of, of Jesus. To get the most complete description of them, we're going to use uh, the biography written by John for the encounter with Annas and the biography written by Mark for the encounter with Caiaphas. Uh, so I invite you now to open your Bibles to those scriptures. If you're using a Bible that's in the pew in front of you, the page numbers are on your screen there. Jesus was arrested late in the evening. He was bound and hauled away to Annas's residence. Annas had been high priest several years prior, um, and the high priest is the most powerful of the Jewish leadership, and sort of like The president of the United States always retains the title president. The high priest always retains the title high priest. So Annas is still referred to as high priest. Annas also retained a great deal of power and wealth. Uh, He oversaw, for example, the marketplace and money changing that went on in the temple, and he got a cut of all of that business. And Jesus may have been taken to Annas because Annas wanted to confront face-to-face the man who had been to the temple and disrupted his operation and affected his pocketbook twice in Jesus' ministry by overturning the tables and proclaiming the, the sinfulness of what was going on there. Or he may have been taken to Annas first to buy some time for Caiaphas and the other Jewish leaders that were going to be on this council that would try Jesus, because after all, this is night, and Caiaphas and the other leaders needed to be awakened and needed to be assembled at Caiaphas' residence so that they could go through this sham trial with Jesus. 
So we're going to start at Annas' residence in John chapter 18, starting on verse 19. The high priest, who is Annas, then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So now we're going to move to Caiaphas's residence, uh, which most likely was just across a courtyard from where Annas' residence was. And we're going to pick up the story in Mark chapter 14, verse 55. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin, who the Sanhedrin is this council that is going to try Jesus, this council of the highest-ranking Jewish leaders. They were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another, not made with hands. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. So as we consider this encounter, I'm I'm going to probably keep referring to it as one encounter, even though there's two sets of scripture here. Um, I want us to accomplish at least three things. One is to see the hatred that Jesus experienced here. And secondly, to recognize the source of that hatred. And thirdly, to understand why Jesus was able to overcome that hatred so that we can benefit from that as we need to overcome the hatred that we will experience. So first, let's talk about the hatred itself. There is no doubt that the Jewish leadership wanted Jesus dead. This whole thing had that as the goal. It said said it right here in the scripture that we said, we're going to kill Jesus. All we need to do is set up the evidence so that it appears to be legal. Why did they want him dead? Well, uh, Annas may have been motivated by greed. Uh, He made good money from those temple operations. And Jesus was disrupting that. 
Getting rid of Jesus would benefit him financially. Caiaphas and the other Jewish leaders may have been motivated by, uh, by the need for power. They were in the positions of power in the society, and Jesus' popularity and following was approaching, exceeding their own. It may have been political. Caiaphas himself had previously advised his cohorts that uh, they ought to kill Jesus because he was accumulating so much of a following that the Romans might interpret that as a rebellion against Rome, and they might come in and destroy all of them. But we, we see something different here, don't we? This is, this is more than economic protection, political maneuvering, power grabbing, uh, you know, a sham trial, bribing witnesses, lying, maneuvering around the normal justice system. All of those would be pretty uh, understandable, not too surprising if those were the motives. But did you catch what happened after they got what they wanted, if those were the motives? Let's go back to Mark. They all condemned him as worthy of death. Okay, if those were the motives, that would have been good enough. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. These are supposedly the best people of the nation. These are the leaders. Condemning him was not enough for Caiaphas and the others. If, if, they, if all they wanted was Jesus dead, they could have stopped with their conspiracy and with their lies and the condemnation. That could have been the end of it. As hard as that must have been for Jesus to take, just that much. As hard as that must have been for Jesus to take, they didn't stop there. Some of them, maybe Caiaphas himself, got right up into Jesus' face and spit at him. They started hitting him with their fists. They weren't ordering their thugs to do it for them. They were doing it themselves. Spitting in his face, hitting him with their fists and mocking him. I, I, in my job, I deal with some very difficult people sometimes. Mentally incapacitated people. And some of them are full of hate. And when they say lies about me and call me names, that hurts. But I have yet to have someone spit in my face and hit me with their fists, and mock me. And I can only imagine what that felt like for Jesus. They wanted more than his death. They wanted him crushed. They wanted him humiliated. They wanted him disgraced. They wanted him to give in to their hatred. And I can imagine that he had to be tempted to do so. So let's, now let's talk about the source of that hatred because it doesn't make a lot of sense still. Where is this hatred coming from? What did he do to deserve this? 
The answer is he did nothing to warrant the hatred that they were quite literally spitting at him. He was hated for who he is, not what he did or said. Who he is, not what he did or said. And we see this, this, uh, this boiling pot of hatred beginning long before, during Jesus' ministry. And then we see it coming to fruition with the mob that was sent after him that night carrying swords and clubs to arrest him and bind him and haul him away. And right then, Jesus acknowledged that he knew the source of the hatred. He said, this is your hour when darkness reigns. When darkness reigns. His reference to darkness is the same as his follower Paul wrote about later in another book of the Bible. He wrote, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Jesus knew that the source of the hatred was Satan himself. And it was pointless to blame these men. And we, we see that come out very directly from the cross when Jesus asked God the Father to forgive them for they know not what they do. He knew the hatred was coming from Satan. So for us, don't be deceived by the idea that you can get away from hatred by just avoiding that one nasty person. Satan, will is, he's relentless, and he's clever, and he will find other people and other times and other ways to cause you to experience the suffering of hatred. So now let's get to the way, to the response, to the way Jesus overcame this. It seems likely to me that Paul had this encounter that Jesus had in mind when he, when he was writing in Ephesians or to the, uh, to the Ephesians. He wrote, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then he goes on and talks about the source of that hatred and continues, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so, within, so, when, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. After you have done everything, to stand. So what does it mean to stand? Well, paraphrasing what Paul wrote, to stand means to overcome hate by being strong in the Lord. Overcome hate by being strong in the Lord. Now, Paul goes on writing here and describes this further, but I'm going to let you read the rest of Ephesians 6 on your own. Uh, for today, let's use Jesus' example of how he, um, he overcame the hate that he suffered in this encounter. He puts what Paul writes in Ephesians 6 on display. Now, I'm going to give you four aspects of Jesus' example, and uh, each, for each, I'm going to give you first 
what Jesus did not do. And, um, and, and then I'm going to give you what he did instead. And uh, I realized I didn't give you enough space in your note sheet to write all that down. <laughs> Uh, and frankly, the, uh, the, the what he did not do stuff, especially, is not designed to be very catchy or, you know, uh, so you may not even want to write that stuff down. Um, but I, I want to include it because it, I think, helps explain. And that's the main thing that I want you to get. So you'll figure out what you want to write down. <laughs> you might just want to write down the instead part. <clears throat> so Jesus' example of how he overcame this hate. First, he didn't stoop to their level. He didn't stoop to their level. Caiaphas brought witness after witness to lie about Jesus. He probably bribed them. And uh, he kept trying because Jewish law requires to have at least two witnesses that agree, you know, whose testimonies agree, in order to convict somebody of this kind of crime. But, uh, but it's hard to keep lies straight. And they couldn't do it. Uh, he couldn't find two witnesses whose lies even agreed. And Jesus saw no reason to even bother to respond to these lies. Finally, though, a question was asked that was worthy of a response by Jesus. He asked him, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah? the Son of the Blessed One. Now that's a question worthy of a response. I am, he said. I am. That is the truth. That is what mattered. The, the truth about Jesus was all throughout the scriptures that these Jewish leaders knew very well. They chose to not accept that. They chose to twist and distort and deny the truth, and all of that was meaningless. So instead of stooping to their level, Jesus focused on truth. A second aspect of the example Jesus gives us is he didn't back off. They accused him of all kinds of wrongdoing, like inciting a rebellion against Rome and teaching against obedience to, uh, to God's law. They also accused him of what was true, but what they considered to be blasphemous, like being, claiming to be the Son of God. Uh, he, he could have tried to tone down his teachings, you know, to, to, to make them more agreeable to those that were making the rules in society. Uh, instead... When Annas asked him about his teachings, Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. He had, he, he had nothing to hide. He let his record speak for itself. He had spoken and done only what God the Father wanted him to do. So instead of backing off, he, he relied on righteousness. He relied on that. 
a, a third example or a, aspect of Jesus' example here is that he did not abandon the mission. He could have saved himself. In his humanity, he could have desperately begged for mercy or ran away. And in his deity, he could have called down armies of angels to go before him and destroy those in front of him. When you, when you really consider what he could have done, it's that much more amazing that he didn't do it, given how much he must have been suffering. He knew that his time on earth was just temporary and that his suffering was necessary for the mission. I mentioned before how Jesus uh, had forewarned his disciples that he had to suffer and die, but he also explained that he would be going to God the Father to prepare a place for them in paradise. He knew that was far more important than easing his personal suffering. And uh, even as he agonized on the cross, he had the greater mission in mind when he, when he said to the man next to him who had placed his faith in Jesus, today you will be with me in paradise. Even at that moment, he still had the mission in mind. So instead of abandoning the mission, he persevered for the mission. He persevered for the mission. A fourth aspect of the example that Jesus gave us is that he didn't retaliate. How do you feel when someone is hating on you? Even when they are being tame compared to spitting in your face or hitting you with your fists, I'll bet most of us have the instinct to just let them have it right back. But if you've ever actually done that, how do you feel afterwards? Jesus knew that. He knew that any satisfaction from retaliation would be short-lived and it would be inadequate. He knew that God's justice would prevail and that he would gloriously return to make things right. He reminded Caiaphas of that when he said, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Yes, this is the hour of darkness, but you will see me come back. Paul wrote about God's justice too. In 1 Thessalonians, he wrote, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Paul goes on to describe that further. So instead of taking matters into his own human hands, Jesus had faith in God's justice. Instead of retaliating in a human way, he had faith in God's justice. So this is how Jesus stood. And by doing so, he overcame the hate of the world in the same way he overcame the death of this world. And because he did, we also can overcome the hate of this world that we are experiencing or will experience. 
And I, I, I know that this is another one of those Christian teachings that is totally contrary to the way I feel, what I want to do. So what will you do when the day of evil comes? Will you be able to stand? Well, we can if we stand in his strength, not our own. <clears throat> and uh, let me just share a few thoughts in closing here that might help us to live out the way Jesus showed us, to live this out. First of all, um, prepare. Put on that full armor of God. Read Ephesians 6, where Paul describes it, and understand it. Understand that armor that God provides. Second, remember Jesus' example. Most of us learn more by seeing how it's done than reading about how it's done. So look at Jesus. He showed it to us. And uh, third, pray for yourself and for every other follower of Jesus because we all face this. It's, you know, Paul, after, in, in Ephesians 6, after describing the full armor of God, he, he, he didn't stop there. He added in verse 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, the full armor of God, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So with that, let me invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, it is uh, amazing, amazing, amazing what you endured through your son, Jesus. Not, not just that horrific uh, physical suffering, but that, but that suffering from just experiencing the hate that is demonstrated by being spat in, at in the face. Lord, I just want to thank you for enduring that for us. I want to thank you for showing us how we can be strong in you when we face, when we face hate in this world. And Lord, I pray for us as we seek to stand, as we seek to, um, to live this out, I pray that you will guide us in that effort. I pray that you will bless us in that effort. And I pray for each and every person hearing this message this morning that we, uh, that we glorify you in the way that we stand. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.